you ever have so many questions and no one to ask so they're just wasting away on google searches you'll forget about in an hour or so we had that same problem and that's why we created the rd to be podcast a resource for dietetic and nutrition students looking for answers that their peers don't have we are students Macy and Emily and registered dietitian Carl Barnes. We engage in conversations and learn from RDs. Join us weekly as we gain insight into the unique journeys of registered dietitians all over the country. Welcome back to another week of the RD2B podcast. I'm your registered dietitian host, Carl Barnes. Um, each week we sit down with a different awesome registered dietitian to highlight the diversity of opportunity in this wonderful profession that we all we all love. Uh, crazy excited this week. We're um, giving you a lot more than just the audio experience. Um, so we're here with with Chef Julie Harrington. Um, she is going to be doing a cooking demo and talking through some of her expertise. Um, having done some of these, I can tell you these are so freaking hard to do. And and even even having gone through them, it's it's great to learn from from an expert and and learn as you go. So. Thank you so much for being here. Super excited. Thanks for having me. I'm excited too. As always, I'm Emily. You're already to be from University of Maryland College Park. So I guess we can start. All right. Awesome. So hi, everyone. I'm Julie. As you see, you can see me here, but then you can also see me here. So we have both angles to make sure you can see the whole cooking demo from, from start to finish. So again, my name is Julie. I am a registered dietitian and a chef. So I started at culinary school before I became a dietitian and I merged those two together. So I teach about nutrition through food. So I truly deeply believe that every dietitian should really know how to cook or at least have the basic skills because how are we going to be relaying that nutrition education to our clients, our patients, our community, even through social media? We really need to understand the food. So with doing cooking demos, you could teach about it, taste it, see it, and it's part of the experience because again, when maybe you're goal is to include more vegetables into your clients or community's diet. That's a pretty general one that all dietitians are looking to do. So how do we do it? You don't just say eat more vegetables. How do you cook? How do you chop? Having these basic skills is just so important. And that's actually why I started a second business with a colleague, Culinary Nutrition Studio, to help other RDs and healthcare professionals hone in their knife skills without needing to go to culinary school. So I think it's really important that even if you are not doing cooking demos or um, doing cooking classes and whatnot, it's really important to still have those skills because how are you supposed to relay that to your audience that you're talking to about nutrition? How do you expect someone to say, okay, make this confetti turkey burger, which we're making today. And when someone asks you like, well, how do I cut the pepper properly? You should be able to know how to do that. So that's why I love doing these demos. And within this, it can be really interactive. I like to talk a lot, so I think this is perfect for me. If you are doing a cooking demo, you have to be able to cook and talk at the same time. So if you look at my setup here, this is what your standard mise en place is for a cooking demo. I have all my ingredients out, I have all my equipment. I already know in advance what I'm going to talk about, um, what I'm going to show, what I'm going to really hone in on. 
And this is not a natural thing for a lot of people. And it took me a while too, to really understand how do I relay my message as I'm talking at the same time. So what you don't see here, which I started in the beginning with any demo that I ever did is I had little post-its by all my ingredients. And I had my little talking point of what I want to show or what I want to talk about to really drive home that message of what's this recipe all about. So the recipe today is one of my most popular recipes on my site. It's a confetti turkey burger. And you'll see here that this recipe is very adaptable because I changed it up a little bit for what I'm doing today based on what I had on hand. And that's always really important too. We need to talk to our audience about what their flavor preferences are, um, what their budget is, um, what they have access to, how much time they have. And I think that is that key message to bring it all together. So what we have here is a confetti turkey burger. And right here, this is one pound of, this is, you can use ground chicken, uh, which I'm using today, or you can also use ground turkey, ground beef, and ground lamb, really anything works here. Um, but your one pound of meat, typically if you just use this, you can make maybe four servings of a meal. We're adding a ton of vegetables to not only add more veggies, but we're stretching out our dollar. This turkey burger or chicken burger, depending on how big you make your patties, can make six to eight burgers now from just one pound of meat. So my biggest thing that I get from a lot of people, it's like, oh, ground chicken, ground turkey, it's so bland, it dries out. I'm gonna have a hockey puck for a burger. That's not appetizing at all. So the lesson here is not only are we adding vegetables to boost in nutrition, but we are also going to add moisture to our burger. So when these are going to be finally cut and mixed in with our meat, those moistures coming from our vegetables are going to be released, keeping it really nice and tender. So that's solution number one that we're already solving the problem. So every time there's a barrier, we need to have a solution and the reasoning why behind it and really draw those pieces together. So right now I have my turkey um, or chicken rather in our bowl ready to go. You'll see I have a garbage little bin right here. So as I'm chopping, I'm not constantly running back and forth. That actually wastes so much time in the kitchen and that little simple thing, just leaving a garbage bin or a bag or whatever it may be ready to go is going to be really helpful. So before we dive into the chopping, just wanna go over some basic knife skills. So this is your chef knife. Everyone should have a chef knife in their kitchen. You don't need fancy tools, fancy equipment. So you don't need the most expensive knife. All you need is a sharp knife. A sharp knife is actually safer than a dull knife. And the reason is, is because our knife needs to do the work. If your knife is dull and you're hacking away, you're more, less, you're more likely to slip and potentially nick a finger, you have uneven cuts. So a sharp knife is going to be key. So when you have your chef knife here, everyone has different preference. So find one that you feel comfortable working with. I have a little bit smaller hands, so I like a smaller handle and a shorter knife. Someone who has bigger hands might like a longer knife, depending on what is going to be comfortable. So if you notice here, there are three of these little dots. These are the tang. So the blade actually runs through the whole handle, making this handle a little bit more heavier. And I like it because I feel like I have more control. Some people like a little bit more of a lighter grip. 
So again, depending on what fits in your hand comfortably. When you are cutting, you wanna make sure you have a good grip on your, on your handle here. And what I don't wanna see, and I correct so many people in classes, is your finger on top. You actually have less of a grip on control of your knife. So all four fingers being wrapped around the handle, also, you can do the choke up method, which I typically do. So my finger is kind of curled on the side of the blade here. It's kind of like choking up on a baseball bat. So when you're cutting, you have the most control of your knife. So even if you have to practice with no food on your cutting board at all, but we want this nice rocking motion. Our other non-dominant hand is not going to be a crazy claw, but your fingers are turned in a little bit. So if you do end up missing, you're not cutting off your fingertips, it's going to just graze against your knuckles. So we wanna make sure we have kitchen and knife skill safety down. So as you're going through, you'll see that it's a nice rocking motion. My knife is actually never leaving the cutting board. And if you need to go slow in the beginning, I tell everyone to take your time. I'd rather get this motion down than try to work fast and you're working harder, not smarter at the end of the day because now we are developing these bad habits. So I want everyone to work slow and get that motion down. So our first thing we are going to cut is our onion. So most people, they're chopping away their onions, they're crying, there's pieces all over the place. Maybe they're having struggle of getting nice even cuts, but what actually do you guys know? What makes your eyes tear up with an onion? Why? I actually do not know. You've only learned so how to fix it by sticking your head in the freezer. <laughs> so there are a couple little tips to avoid it, but the reason why we tend to cry with cutting onions is the older the onion, the more moisture there is. You know, have you ever noticed like some onions are had more like wet after you cut them? So that's older. So those peels are kind of separating and that moisture is releasing that gas causing our eyes to cry. So there are a couple methods to avoid this if you are really sensitive to cutting onions. So you could pop it in the fridge or freezer for a little bit before you cut it because the moisture will kind of more stay intact within the onion and won't be released as quickly. Or once you cut it in half, you can run it under some water. I mean, I've never heard about sticking your head in the freezer, but if that works for you, go for it. So when you're cutting your onion, you wanna make sure that this root end stays intact. This is what's holding the whole onion together. So once you cut that off, now all those layers can go all over your cutting board. So I'm going to cut right through. And now I have my two halves. Anytime you're cutting, you wanna have a flat surface on your cutting board. So I'm just gonna cut off the tips, again, not the stem part, so I can help easily peel my onion. So if a recipe calls for one onion, or I mean a half an onion, just do the process of the whole onion. Because what's going to happen is this half onion is just going to kind of sit and just rot in our fridge if we don't use it quickly enough. And sometimes you forget about it. So you can freeze chopped onions. So I think that's really important fact to know about or how to do properly because 
why waste effort if you know you're gonna have to use some onion later on? So when we have a nice dice here, we are essentially going to be creating levels. Then we're going to go around the ridges of the top to create a grid, and then we're going to slice down. So as you see here, my hand's kind of fanning up a little bit and my knife is sharp enough. So as you see, I'm not really hacking, I'm just sliding it in. And you don't wanna to put too much pressure where you're not gonna be able to get your knife through. And I'm doing three layers here because this one's pretty tall. So we have our layers. I'm gonna put the tip of my knife and just go down. I find that to be easiest. If you have some stragglers that fall to the side, that's totally fine. And now I'm going to slice down. Ooh, this one is a little potent. And we have a nice dice. Ooh. So I notice also too when I wear my glasses, it's a little more stronger versus I wear my contacts. I feel like it's almost like built-in goggles. So I'm going to add our onion in here. and save your scraps. So save any scraps like the ends of onions, your peels and whatnot, because you can easily just make a stock after you fill up a bag. So I just accumulate enough to fill like a giant freezer safe bag. And once that's done, I'll just boil it with a bunch of water. If I have leftover chicken bones, I might add those in too. So we have next is going to be our bell pepper. So this one has seen a little bit better days, but I'm not going to waste it just because it's a little wrinkly, it's still okay to use. So a little fun fact about our peppers is this is not 100% true versus male or female peppers, but the whole idea of it makes sense. So three bumps would mean that it's quote unquote a male pepper, but it has different characteristics. So it tends to be a little less sweet, but all the seeds really stay intact on the top. So they're a little bit easier to work with. Whereas a quote unquote female pepper has four bumps on the bottom. It tends to be more plump because again, more space. It tends to be sweeter, but all those seeds tend to fall down. It's a little bit messier to work with. So cooking with either is fine, but also if you are liking a little bit of that sweeter and you're eating them raw, maybe stick to the ones with four bumps. Everyone has a different way to cutting peppers. I'm gonna show you my favorite way because I like to have the least amount of waste. So all these seeds are up intact on the top and I'm just going to slice down just to really expose where everything is, just like that. And so far, this is my only waste, the little top of the stem. So I can still use these pieces here. I'm going to chop the bottom and I have nice flat surfaces. So you can either do two different ways, whatever you're most comfortable with. You can just slice down and create your own little planks like so, or you can put your pepper on the cutting board and work your knife around it. So now essentially this is the only thing that is wasted, the core of the seeds. So when you're cutting your pepper, you wanna make sure that you have the shiny side or skin side down 
It's easier to cut through the flesh. So this is a really good time to really work on those knife skills because a bell pepper is a lot easier to cut through than say like a carrot if you're doing strips. But I'm going to do a dice. So I'm going to turn and now cut those into a nice dice. So again, everything is being added into with my ground meat. So if you just notice, I cut those into different planks, different size planks, just because you wanna make sure that you're able to work with what you're cutting. So something like something long, like a carrot, a good rule of thumb, if it's longer than your knife, you need to break it down smaller. So again, some strips here. And again, go slow as you need. Same thing with the pepper. You can 100% freeze this and have it ready for your next time you need some pepper in your recipe. So would you also, say, you know, put a full pepper in there, half pepper, quarter of a pepper, what's like your... So mine was kind of small. I'm thinking I'm going to put almost all of it. I'm going to use all of it for mine. Again, how much do you love pepper? If you love pepper, add it in. If you don't, leave it out. Also, you can use totally any other vegetables you want here. I've done it with grated zucchini before. Um, my only tip for that is you really wanna make sure you're squeezing out the excess moisture before you add that in, because then it's like too wet of a burger. So how did you come upon, you know, using peppers and spinach and onions opposed to other vegetables to make your confetti burger? Um, so this one I liked because I actually made it for a kid's class about ways to increase vegetable consumption to make it more fun. Mm -hmm. Um, and I called them confetti because you see their little specks of color throughout. So I'm not about like sneaking in foods, but there's a reason behind it. So mm -hmm. it's not only increasing our veggie intake, it's adding a pop of color. Kids don't want to hear it's healthy. So these are confetti. You can see all the different colors throughout. Um, you can mix and match different colors. So I try to, with kids, try to always have three colors on their plate. And this has over three colors in just one mm -hmm. part of the plate. So that's what I love about it. I'm adding a little bit of garlic in here just because I want to show about garlic today. Um, you can add garlic powder in here if you don't want to. But another thing I want to mention about the onions and peppers before I forget is think about who you're working with too. Is time a barrier for them? If time is the biggest barrier, they can already buy the peppers and onion pre-chopped or they can meal prep it that in part in advance, freeze it themselves and use it. So you need to, again, meet your client where they're at where they are in their journey and their cooking journey as well. Maybe they're not used to cooking anything. We can't start with every meal being made from scratch. So with your garlic, you can again use the pre-chopped garlic if you want to. I do suggest if you are using the ones in the little jar, use a little extra just because they're not as fragrant and flavorful as if you're using fresh. Both are fine. Sometimes I use the pre-chopped ones if I'm too lazy to chop them myself, I'm not gonna lie. So when you have your fresh garlic though, you wanna make sure that you are doing this, this part safely. Now you don't need to go crazy and like really whack it. You could give it a whack, but I just like to apply enough pressure to crack that skin off. And you see it came right off like that. 
There is this little end piece here that I tend to trim off just because it's a little bit woody and bitter. But all I'm doing here is just giving it a rough chop. I'm going to bunch it together and continue to break it down. So something like this, I love garlic. I think it's probably one of my most favorite ingredients that I work with. So when a recipe calls for two, I tend to add like four, six. So also with cooking too, your recipes are not a mandate, it's just a guide. So understanding basics of cooking is really helpful because then you can adapt recipes to meet your own needs and your own preferences. So for example, something like this, really understanding ratios and like something like the zucchini, you can easily swap out with zucchini, but you just need to understand the water content. So squeezing it out is going to prevent a really soggy burger. And my last one here is I have spinach. So this is baby spinach and I typically buy in my grocery store, whichever is more is on sale, either in the bag or in those little um, plastic containers. But the tip I have here is after you open it, put in a piece of paper towel to soak up excess moisture. The second you open it, now things are going to start to degrade and it's causing these little water droplets. So something on the little containers, those water droplets are coming to the top and dripping down. And that's creating soggy lettuce or soggy spinach. So same thing with this bag, it's accumulating on the outside. So if you put a layer of um, paper towel here, it will last a lot longer. All right, so I'm gonna just give these a nice rough chop. If all of this too, you don't wanna work on your knife skills, Totally cool if you throw all of this in a food processor. So again, it's what you're most comfortable with. Having these knife skills in your back pocket though are really important because that's really all I'm using for this recipe is a cutting board and a knife. You don't really need fancy equipment to really cook nice, healthy, lean meals. I'm gonna cut it pretty fine here. This is also where you can get adventurous if you really, if you want to add some herbs in here, you can. I like keeping it pretty simple with some salt and pepper. A lot of my recipes, you'll see that. I'll maybe highlight one spice or herb in a recipe, but I like to keep them fairly simple so everyone else can add their own flair to the recipe. So um, how long did it take you to like master you know cutting and stuff because here I am over here attempting to cut you were on the garlic I was still crying over an onion <laughs> so it takes time so when I went to culinary school like my first class I was so intimidating some uh, most people have worked in kitchens before but I was coming in from like I worked at a bagel shop in high school mm. so the most I did was like flipping eggs to make egg sandwiches um, or like chopping some of the vegetables to make like a veggie cream cheese. So it takes time, but like any skill, the more you do it, the easier it's going to become. Mm -hmm. cool. So that's another thing I always have to be mindful of too. As I'm going through class, I'm like chopping away and people are like, I'm still on step one. So I always need to reel it back in. We are going to use binding agents today in the form of an egg. And I'm actually using, instead of breadcrumb, I'm going to use milled flax 
just another way to add a boost of nutrition. So the difference with this though, this is really finely milled and it's not as gritty as your typical ground flax seed. I tried it with the ground flax seed. It does have a little bit of this gritty texture to it. If you're okay with that, go for it. I just really prefer a smoother consistency. So I'm going to add in a half a cup brown flax or milled flax. Or you can also use some breadcrumbs or panko. Again, very adaptable. And we have an egg here. So when you are cracking an egg, it's actually better to crack it on the surface versus on the side of your bowl. When you do it on the side of your dish, you're kind of inverting that shell that you broke. So you're more likely to drop some into your dish there. So you just give it a little tap, maybe two. Add that in. And I like to give mine a little stir before I add it into the mixture, just so I make sure that everything really comes together and all that egg gets incorporated. That's going to go in here. And next up we have some cheese. So you could add cheese on top. You can leave it out if you want to just do a regular kind of cheeseburger. I like to add it in because a little goes a long way. Cheese can be a more expensive ingredient. Um, you can use feta cheese, which the original recipe calls for. I'm adding a little bit of spice here. So I'm going to be using a pepper jack cheese and just grating it on my grater. Something like your blocks of cheese tend to be a little bit more affordable than buying the shredded cheese. So just simply shredding it like this using a handheld one is great. Also, if you have a food processor with that shredder um, attachment to it, you can throw the whole block in there. The whole thing will shred instantly in like seconds. So it all depends on what you have. So this is about quarter, half cup-ish of our cheese that I'm adding in. And it's going to be incorporated within every single bite of this burger. And my last ingredient is just a little bit of salt and a little bit of pepper. So for people who are like lactose intolerant or don't eat cheese, what kind of, what other agent would you suggest uh, for them to use? Just leave it out. Oh, okay. You could leave it out. You could use a dairy-free cheese alternative. There's so many options out there now, but the cheese is going to add more flavor. It's not really adding that. It's adding a little bit of moisture, but really your vegetables are doing that job. All right. So now this is where we get a little dirty in the kitchen. So really dive in, you can mix it all together. And you wanna make sure that all of your ingredients are well incorporated. So I'm going to do that here. And what's great about these is you can meal prep these in advance. These burgers freeze really well. I freeze them in the raw state when they're raw. And once I'm done mixing, I'm gonna actually show you another little gadget that I have actually helps freeze these bad boys a little bit easier into a little single portion. 
So the beauty about this too is anytime like nothing is quote unquote perfect, like those perfectly food style things that you see all the time on, on like Food Network, on Pinterest, on Instagram, I call it rustic. And this is a very rustic looking kind of burger because you might have a couple pieces of onion that are bigger than the other, but it's all really coming together and it's gonna be delicious. All right, so let me just wash my hands real quick. So when you're doing cooking demos for for various audiences, do you do you tailor your nutrition message and highlighting of a, ingredients based on on your preconceptions of your audience and who you're targeting? A hundred percent. So this recipe I've done with pretty much any audience. I've done it with food allergies because we talked about gluten free instead of using breadcrumb. I've done kids about how to find ways to add in um, some vegetables. I did it one for about like budget cooking, like how to extend your dollar. Um, so really, again, most recipes you can cater around to your specific audience. So you don't have to go crazy and develop a brand new recipe for everything, uh, but you might have to adapt the recipe, change some ingredients, but you have your core recipe ready to go. So before I hop over there, I just wanna show you. This fun little thing. Again, it's not 100% needed, but it's helpful if you have these extra gadgets in the kitchen. So this is a burger saver where it's like shaped like honeycombs, but you press your raw meat into here and you freeze it. So if you just want to pop out one burger for a meal or two burgers, it's something easy. But of course, you can easily just take a... Um, baking sheet, parchment paper, form your patties, freeze them, and then individually wrap them as well. So the key for that is you want to freeze them as individuals because if you freeze them like all stacked on top of each other, it's just gonna be a big blob. All right, so you guys ready for the transition? I'm gonna move everything over there now. All right, so the first thing also too, when you are working on stovetop, I'm inside today, so I'm going to use a big saute pan. You can use a grill pan. You can go outside and grill, whatever really works best. You can even oven bake these. Anything goes whatever method you like best. I personally like a little bit of browning on the outside, so I prefer the grill or a pan, um, but I've baked them in the oven before too, and it works just as well. Anytime you're cooking, you want to start with a hot pan. I'm going to turn this on to like a medium heat-ish. And you want your pan to be hot before you add your oil. If you have a cold pan, cold oil, and then you add your food, then all that oil is going to be absorbed right into the product or ingredient that you're putting in your pan. We don't want that because then we're going to have a bone dry pan, things are going to burn, and then we're going to have to add more oil. And we're trying to keep those, even though they're healthy fats, I'm using an olive oil today, we don't want to go overboard because we know they're more calorie dense. So I'm going to add now our oil to the pan, just a little drizzle here. 
If you need to really, um, if you're not comfortable eyeballing, keep a measuring spoon by your oven or stove, by your olive oil, and then you can always have that available. So our pan is going to get hot. And you'll start noticing when your oil's ready, once I move it, you'll see it's kind of shiny and it will start easily pulling away from the pan. It's moving quickly. If you like a good crust, I would recommend doing a cast iron. All right, so I just kind of reached my hand over here just to make sure it's nice and warm. I'm feeling the heat, so this is perfect. Um, there are methods that people will put a drop of um, water to see if it's ready to go. I really don't recommend that because it will splatter. So now we have our burger mixture. And I'm going to eyeball it. So I'm just going to shape it here. And you see all these little colors in here. This is perfect. So I don't want to make them too fat because I want them to be able to cook through. Another little tip is when you're cooking burgers, you can push down in the center a little bit. Have you ever cooked on the grill and your burger's like this little raised guy and it just kind of shrinks up? It's because that moisture is not being released anywhere. So if you press down, then when it does need to be released, it's just going to press up that middle to the normal edge there. So you hear that nice little sizzle here. I know dietitians love to be super type A and in some things I am and other things I'm totally not. So you could measure and weigh all of these so they're that exact same size, but that'd be a little bit intuitive with cooking. So you can just kind of eyeball it there. You can probably fit three or four into this pan. You never want to overcrowd your pan because then eventually you're just kind of steaming it. And we don't want steamed burgers. So I'm gonna let those guys sit there. I'm gonna wash my hands real quick. So how do you know when these are ready to flip? There should be no resistance at all. If you are finding yourself chiseling away at your pan, then they are not ready to go. So, and we don't wanna keep flipping them back and forth. We want this nice even browning on there. So something with your burgers too, anytime you're cooking any ground chicken, poultry, any poultry in general, the internal temperatures would be 165 degrees. So having a thermometer is really helpful. A digital one is my personal preference. So you don't have to wait for the dial to really tick up so you get your accurate reading right away. Emily, how's your, is yours on the pan? Yep, mine's on the pan. Oh, awesome. So again, multiple things that you could do, you could add different dry herbs here. Um, and with your burger, you could add different vegetables. 
I've even done these with some grilled pineapple on top. It's really delicious. You can be really creative with this simple base. So would you say the vegetable to meat ratio is like one to one or how would you explain it to people that aren't cooking along with like what like the ratio would be? I would say about one to one. We want to make sure that there's still enough meat in there to keep it shaped because if we were too vegetable heavy, your burgers are just going to fall apart. Yeah, a good one to one ratio, I think. Okay, this one, I just kind of peeked under it, but as I went under too, there was no resistance at all. So I'm gonna give this one a little turn, beautiful brown color over here. This one I need to do next. Oh, this one's not ready. And you'll see some of the veggies will like pop out a little bit. The finer you cut your vegetables, the more it will stay intact. So I did cut my onions and peppers a little bit bigger than I normally do. This one, oh, this one wants to go away. Oh, there we go. Nice brown there. Oh, and right there too. Nice. I personally love that exterior kind of browning on there. If you don't, pop them in the oven instead. So something like cooking stove top or like on a grill pan, sometimes depending on how thick things are, you want to make sure things are being cooked properly. So again, your thermometer is great. You can also do visual cues, something like your poultry. If you press on it a little bit, you don't want to press it so it flattens, but if juices come out and they're running clear, then it's cooked through. If it's still pinkish, those juices, then it's not ready yet. Another little tip, if you notice that the exterior is browning and your, and your juices aren't clear, it's not coming to temp. A little tip for cooking inside is you can put a little bit of water in the pan and just cover it. This will generate some steam and finish cooking through here. You definitely want to be careful with that because again, it could splatter, but that extra little steam will really help continue to cook through. So now my question for everyone is what are your favorite toppings and condiments for burgers? Do you guys have preferences? Um, you know, lettuce, tomato, ketchup, stuff like that. Pretty, pretty basic. So your LTO is always the way to go, but I also like pickles. You can do pickled onions. You can even do a fried egg on top. Be super creative. And check the bottom of this guy. Well, this guy is ready to go. All right, so I have the other ones here, which I'm honestly going to most, most likely freeze for later because it's just me today for lunch. Um, so we have three burgers here. You can put them on buns. You can put them on lettuce wraps. 
sometimes leftovers I'll crumble and just throw them on a salad or in a grain bowl. So very versatile. I'm gonna hop back over there. All right, so we have our burgers and you can add different toppings, go crazy. You can be totally creative with what vegetables you're going in here, what toppings you're doing, how you're serving them. Again, the lettuce wrap, buns, wrap, whatever you want to do. So that is our chicken or turkey confetti burger. And you can call it whatever you want. It's just so delicious. So when you're grilling this summer, definitely opt for this recipe. And if you do, tag me at at Chef Julie underscore RD because I always want to see your creations. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I'm sure you can still hear my finishing cooking. Um, but thank you so much for doing this demo with us. We really appreciate it. A lot of dietetic students don't really understand how to cook just because we don't really have that much experience in kitchen. So I feel like being able to provide this to students is going to just open a whole different, you know, door for them. Yeah, and we're hoping to really with our new programming coming out, we're launching this summer, that it helps people build their own confidence in the kitchen so they can, again, relate it, relate it to whoever they're working with. Because who talks really comes into play in any setting as for being a dietitian. We really need to understand that food component. I really appreciate you covering the the mise en place and the like the the considerations beforehand because I think that's a big limitation both for students and for dietitians of it's that fear factor of cooking at home never goes as planned so now if I'm doing it to teach others and now I have to have my education plus my demonstration how that works and and plan that out I think that's that's fantastic and it it really helps Oh, yeah, and like also with dietitians too, like we all know we're a little crazy and it doesn't have to be this perfect presentation because that makes you more, it makes it more humanized too of like, oh, I'm, I, I'm struggling with this or I hate cutting garlic. So I'm going to use the pre-chopped garlic. Most times you're going to be relating to your audience with those kinds of things because there's barriers all around us of when it comes to getting healthy meals on the table. So really tie it together so you can help break those barriers. Absolutely. I, I appreciate oh, you awesome. going. Oh, you go. I appreciate you coming through and, and sharing your expertise. Um, this is a, a highly requested um, topic and I think you, you did a fantastic job and and for everyone um, who's who's in, enjoying this and joining us. Uh, make sure you you hop over to to go follow Julie and and see all the great stuff that that she puts out. I appreciate Thanks you taking so much. Hopefully, we can all cook again together soon. Absolutely. <laughs>